The first weekend of the NCAA tournament is the greatest betting event of the year. Whether you like filling out a bracket, picking a national champion, predicting first round upsets, or all of the above, MyBookie is the perfect home for your March Madness fun. Will Zion Williamson and his teammates cement their legacy at Duke with a title? Can Virginia get past its loss to a 16 seed last year? And can Kentucky get back to the Final Four? If you know the answers, or even if you don't, MyBookie is the place to get in on the action. They have something for everyone, even you, multiple bracket guy. MyBookie has been in business for years. Their goal is to give you the best customer service in the business. And the best part is they pay out fast when you win. I'm talking 48 hours. Bet with the best, then kick back and enjoy March Madness while you watch your picks cash. Deposit with MyBookie today with promo code BLUEWIRE for a 50% sign-up bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. With MyBookie, you play, you win, and you get paid. What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode seven of the Trench Warfare podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Thorne. You could follow me at Brandon Thorne NFL, and I'm here with a special guest, John Ledyard, who's a senior NFL draft analyst at Draft Network and co-host of the Locked On NFL Draft podcast. He's a good friend of mine and somebody who I've been you know, kind of on the same path in a lot of ways for the last few years. Um, John is really taking it to another level lately and him and his team with the draft network are doing great work uh, for the NFL draft over there and John is somebody who I really respect in terms of what he does evaluating players especially on the line of scrimmage and I thought he'd be a great guest to bring on to discuss everything that's happened so far with free agency and I've kind of withheld a lot of takes uh, for offensive linemen especially for this specific podcast so i'm really excited to do this but john welcome in and uh, how are you doing hey man i'm doing great thanks so much for having me and for the kind words i really appreciate it yeah man for sure this is awesome i'm excited to to get into this and you know i think we'll start first with a couple of trades that went down between the new york teams for their offensive line the jets acquired colecio semele and uh, I think they traded a 2019 sixth-round pick to, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, the Raiders traded uh, a sixth and Kelechi to the Jets for a fifth. So I thought that was personally a great a great deal for the Jets because you're getting a guy in Kelechi Assembly who you know I'm a huge fan of. And, I mean, mm-hmm. he's somebody who's been at one point, at least in 2016, he was an all-pro but even before that, he he was pretty dominant uh, at times, not as consistent, you know, as in 2016. But even with Baltimore, I mean, in terms of physical traits, he's special. He's dealt with some injuries the last couple of years. But the Jets, I mean, they, they need a lot of help on their offensive line. So I think getting Kelechi in there, what that does for Sam Darnold, the running game potentially, especially if they're going to go more of a gap scheme, I think that this has a lot of payoff for for minimal risk, really. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. I mean, it's so simple to to make these kind of trades, I think, especially if your team is needy for for guards and for leadership as the Jets are, because you just ask yourself, like, you know, is that fifth going to be better, a better player than Collegio Semele and a sixth-round pick? You know, and obviously the chances of that happening are just so, so slim. So 
Uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of the move. Um, and I think biggest thing outside of the obvious, the talent upgrade, you know, especially if he's healthy, um, there's the biggest thing is the leadership that he brings and the mentality that he brings, the demeanor change. You know, we saw that with Quentin Nelson bringing that to Indianapolis as a young guy and with the assembly with the, and the, the kind of respect he's going to garner in that locker room. I think it, it goes even more so that way. I think the scheme fit will be great. Um, but I think that what he means for guys like uh, Brandon Shell, you know, and even even Kelvin Beecham, if he remains the tackle, but more than likely if the, if they draft a left tackle, you know, a uh, young guy there that he'll probably play next to, you know, I think that is huge uh, and an overlooked part of this in some ways because Jets don't really have a lot of that on the interior offensive line. They're losing James Carpenter, and so the, the, this is a team that kind of needed that type of a player, and they needed to really they need to establish a mentality in their offensive line. You know, the Jets haven't been tough there for a long time, really since Mangold and Ferguson, DeBrickshaw Ferguson were in their prime. So um, I think that that's something that's missing from the Jets, and that's something they have to establish. And obviously this was a cheap way to be able to do that. Yeah, exactly. Their their offensive line, the more I look at it, I mean, it's pretty decimated right now. So getting Kelechi mm-hmm. in there is, is a, a good start. I like Brian Winters at right guard more than most. He's undersized and he even said himself at the offensive line masterminds thing, he, he really is cognizant of the fact that he is smaller than a lot of guys and he has to really be crafty with his hands and leverage and stuff like that to to make an impact. But I do like him at right guard. So I think you have some guards there. I'm not sure about Brandon uh, Snell very – I mean, I haven't watched him a lot, but I definitely think they're in the market for a center and a tackle. So we'll – We'll see if they can sign somebody else. I don't really know who's out there at center. There might be mm-hmm. a couple tackles left, but I think the draft for sure, I would imagine they would draft at least one, hopefully two offensive linemen. Um, but, right. but yeah, and then Kevin Zeitler got traded to the Giants in a player-for-player player trade, which is pretty cool for Olivier Vernon um, with the Browns. So that move, I thought, if you know everything that Dave Gettleman's doing is obviously um, very suspect, but in terms of building the <laughs> offensive line, I think uh, he's he's on the right track here. At least uh, for the interior, I think at guard. I mean, this is one of the best guard duos I think that we're going to see in 2019. Definitely in the mm-hmm. probably the top you know 10 for sure, and maybe higher depending on how much Hernandez improves, but. Yeah, him and Will Hernandez is a really good guard pairing, and uh, they desperately still need a right tackle. Darrell Williams is still on the market, and that makes sense from the Gettleman-Carolina connection. So maybe they address it that way, or, I mean, Jawan Taylor and Cody Ford are Gettleman guys all day at right tackle. So um, I could see them get one of them potentially in the draft. But, yeah, what do you think about that, those two guys, and then just sort of this trade? Well, I thought it was a really good trade for the Giants because I think Vernon's been pretty disappointing there, and I think yeah. that this is the potential to be a huge upgrade, obviously. You know, I think Vernon's a good, solid player, but I just think at the end of the day, like, this is a roster that's clearly trying to build themselves around the run game. Vernon wasn't a difference maker, and they were paying him to be a difference maker on the defensive side of the ball, so I completely understood moving on from him. Um, the fact that you can get a player who's still playing really, really good football I think he's 29 years old, uh, yep. you know, and Zeitler. You know, and, and you don't have to move in positions either. You know, he's going to plug, plug right in at right guard, right where he's been comfortable, where he's been dominant for years. So I think that, yeah, the, the, the fit made complete sense. You're right, he and Hernandez are going to be a dominant 
uh, guard pairing. They're obviously going to try and run the football after trading Odell and drafting Saquon Barkley number two overall and kind of snubbing their nose at quarterback. So um, you can argue till you're blue in the face about whether that kind of football will work on the level that it needs to to win a championship, which should be every team's ultimate goal. But there's no question that Nate Solder, Will Hernandez, I think Jalapio was playing. I know it's such a small sample size because he was only played in like two games, I think, before he got hurt last year. But he was really good in those two games. Um, so maybe, you know, he, he competes with Pulley at least at center. Maybe they draft somebody too. But I still feel like those three plus Zeitler and then you draft your right tackle or you sign Darren Williams, like you said, that's such an improved group uh, with the yeah. Giants. Now, if they had somebody to throw to, it would be great. But <laughs> I think that, uh, that that's probably the biggest thing is that they wanted to get better in the trenches. And as many other things the Giants have done that I just scratched my head over, they definitely got better in the trenches, and Zeitler's going to be a real difference maker for them. Yeah, they need somebody to throw to, and they need somebody to play defense as well. So we'll <laughs> we'll see. I mean, that defensive roster, man, I don't even know. Like, Oh, my yeah. gosh. Dude, it's insane. <laughs> I, I don't even know if there's an above-average player there, man. It's so bad. Yeah, I I like Tomlinson a lot, but he's limited on third yeah. down. So, you know, I, right. it's it's tough. It's I mean, that's like the mm. most – dire defensive roster I can think of like off the top of my head right now it's just it's crazy right so yeah we'll see at least they have the offensive line going I mean that's a good start but it's yeah far away otherwise we'll mm. we'll see what happens there but you know, probably the biggest signing in, in terms of money it was but also just kind of being unexpected too was Trent Brown to the Oakland Raiders and you know he signs the biggest deal in offensive lineman history, uh, succeeding uh, Nate Solders last year with the Giants. So just breaking down that aspect of it for me, I think it. I would much rather have Trent Brown at this deal than Solder at the deal he got because he's I think five or so years younger. I think he's better. Mm. So just those right. two things right there. I think you know this is a pretty a pretty good signing in my opinion. The only thing is. When you there, there's a lot to break down with this overall, I think. Um, you know, he got 36 million guaranteed, highest ever. Uh, the Raiders do have a potential out, I believe, after two years where they can get rid of him with zero dead cap. I saw that on Small wow. Track. So, if that's accurate, that that's a you know a, an important detail. But it's just you know I'll start with I, I think it's remarkable that Trent Brown is in this position at all. He was a 7th round pick. He had 11 starts in college, at, at, you know, in Florida. So for him to be the richest offensive lineman in history is incredible. Um so just that journey is is notable. He's, he's going to be 26 years old week 1, so I mean, he should be just at the beginning of his prime. And mm-hmm. you know, he has the thing is is his position, you know, he's going to play left or right. I honestly would like him probably better at right just because I think he was better at right tackle in in terms of pass protection wise. I think New England and playing for Skarnackia made him a better overall lineman. He's a much better right. run blocker right now. He played with a little bit more consistency last year. So I guess left tackles, you know, make sense as well because of now that he he's most recently coming off of that he has 18 career starts at left tackle 26 at right so he's more familiar with right and i think if he could use what he learned in new england and bring it to right tackle you're talking about a guy who could be a top three four right tackle in the league whereas left tackle Mm -hmm. his ceiling is lower i think so um that's interesting and then colton miller i mean i i don't think he should start at left tackle over trent brown 
for any other for any reason. I mean, I understand he was a, a first round pick, so uh, but still, we I don't think Colton Miller's the answer probably at either spot. But I mean, I'd just say, hey, you move over it right and just you know learn it basically because we got Trent Brown here. So, but you know, mm-hmm. it's conflicting reports because I think Ian Rappaport said that he heard Trent Brown's going to play left, and then Vic. Tafor from the Athletic, who's a local Oakland guy, said that he thinks he's going to play right. So it'll be interesting to see. And then another factor is Tom Cable. I mean, Trent Brown, I think, needs a, a little bit of that extra motivation, that outstanding coaching, I think, matters for him more than a lot of other guys. And to go from literally probably the best to the worst in terms of coaching. Right is that makes yeah. me gives me some pause with this with this um deal and what he's going to be over the next couple of years as well but all things considered I still think it's a pretty good deal I don't love it but I don't hate it I I like it more mm-hmm. than I dislike it I'll just say that right yeah man there's so much to unpack here first let's talk about the compensation because you said it you know I like this deal more than the one Nate Solder got and people are going to say well Trent Brown's not the best tackle in the NFL so this deal makes no sense that's not how it works at all you know you pay for good players that's it you pay for good players you pay what the market is and in a couple years the market will be higher and that will just be an average tackle salary for a good player so you know to me that's the goal here is that is Trent Brown a good player? Is he an ascending player? Is he young? Is he healthy? Um, is he coming off? You know, he's coming off two really good seasons, uh, two different places, two different positions, play both of them. Well, there's a ton of value in that. A guy that can play both sides of the line of scrimmage is young, is ascending, has great traits, ton of value in that. So it is absolutely a smart deal in my opinion, because, when you look at the factors you can control as an NFL team, you can't say, you know, like the Raiders, Tom Cable thing is a separate uh, part of it that we'll get to in a second. But if you're the Raiders, like every free agent that you sign is somewhat of a risk. Like that's just the reality. But all the factors that you should matter is the guy ascending. Is he young? Is he healthy? Is he talented at his position? Uh, he's played two different spots. He's played against quality level competition. Um, he's been on an Island one V one. I mean, sure he gets help, but uh, for he's handled guys one V one. Like, Oh, yeah. Everything you want to see is there with Trent Brown. Like, it's not like this is, you know, a, a guy that is older or injury prone or, you know, was significantly helped by scheme or anything like that. Like, this guy handled his business for, for the last two seasons. So, uh, and really, he's not really been bad at any point in his NFL career. It's not like he's been like a super high variance player, you know, year to year. So, I just think that when the fact you look at the factors you can understand and control, Trent Brown is a super smart signing. You're going to pay a ton of money for a guy like that. That's just the reality. Like, and so my big thing is don't pay for, don't pay older and older players and injury prone players or players that are hurt all the time. And don't play players that are average or bad at their positions. Uh, and he's none of that. So that's why I like Trent Brown. And I like the signing at the same time, Trent Brown is going to play for Tom Cable <laughs> and Tom Cable is, is just, yeah, he's the worst of the worst. So, um, and he's and he's derailed a lot of a lot of players from having success in the NFL. Um, and Brown is still, like you said, impressionable enough and not totally established enough. Even though he's not like raw, but he's still learning and growing at the position enough that this is going to be a shock for him. Going from Skarnecchia yeah. to Cable is going, you know, and it could be easy to fall back into some bad habits in those ways. So, um, right. I just think that. Yeah, for a young player, man, consistency is so, so, so important. 
you, that's been talked about for years as being something that was so missing in Seattle was consistency and technique and stance and all those kind of things. And now, you know, he's got to basically adapt to the way Oakland's doing things in their offensive line. And so um, that is the pr- real question mark here is that t- can Tom Cable derail the path that Trent Brown's on? If there were a good offensive line coach in Oakland, I would be 100% screaming the praises of this trade. But here's the yeah. thing. You, if you're Oakland and you're the and you're Mike Mayock or Don Gruden who's just making decisions to get good players in the building, this is the right move. Tiring Tom Cable is the wrong move. Those two things may intersect to make this the worst move in the end when you look at the result. But the process behind signing Trent Brown is good, period. No matter what he becomes there, the process was good. Now, the result may be affected by another bad decision that they made, but I think you have to look at the two things separately. And then finally, the left tackle, right tackle thing. I think you're spot on with that and that I, I would prefer him a right tackle because I believe he's a better player at right tackle. Still think he's a good left tackle, better left tackle than Colton Miller as well. My thing is I don't want to move Colton Miller who played left tackle at UCLA near the end there. Then he went to left tackle in the NFL. I want him to continue to learn one position and not have to switch sides and switch everything he's been working on and training to do. Um, I want him to kind of establish. Plus, he's your first-round pick. It's not like this guy's your third-round pick and you were just trying to have a left tackle like you drafted this guy, you believe he was your left tackle of the future. And right. you know, I don't think there's really a difference in degree of difficulty between playing the two positions. I just think, especially when you look at pass rushers in the days of NFL, I just think it's about what position you're more comfortable playing as an offensive tackle. To me, Colton Miller is going to be more comfortable. Well, he, I mean, so far from what I've seen, I would guess that since he's trained and practiced and played at that position, left tackle, that he – would be a better left tackle right away or, or be able to develop there sooner than right tackle. And I know from what I've seen that Trent Brown's a better right tackle, so to me this one is really kind of obvious. But the NFL still thinks that you have to pay left tackles more and they may be paying him all this money and not wanting him to go play right tackle if they're paying him all that money. I don't know why they would think that way, especially when they just watched <laughs> Justin Houston and Vaughn Miller rush off that side for <laughs> right. years in that division. Um, but here we are. And so that – It'll be very interesting to see which side they, they do end up wanting those guys to play on because uh, on face value, it looks like Trent Brown, more time at right tackle, better tape at right tackle. Colton Miller has played at left tackle, and you drafted him to be your left tackle. It seems like that would be the move that makes more sense. Yeah, and a couple of follow-ups there. So for the listeners, the reason why we're so down on Tom Cable and just people are in general is because when you look at his recent track record in Seattle, if he had any say in who they brought in, that's questionable. If he did, then that's detrimental to his cause of being a good coach on top of what I think the predominant reason is, and that's his inability to develop guys. And you saw that in Seattle time and time again, year after year, they consistently just weren't able to do it on the offensive line, not to mention his checkered past in terms of off-field stuff. So that's another thing that I'm not even factoring in, but that's something that some people do. But I really look at his inability to develop guys. So that's really where we're coming from there. And then if Trent Brown goes to right tackle, this contract is going to look a little bit crazier because it's going to turn the right tackle market like on its head, basically. And it's probably going to be the deal that will finally even out contracts between the left and the right side. Because right now, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but Lane Johnson, I believe, is, well, he was the highest paid right tackle until the guy we're going to talk about next. But 
even the the guy we're going to talk about next and Juwan James of Denver, uh, Trent Brown still got paid significantly more. So yeah, mm-hmm. that would be crazy if he went to right because it would just reset the right tackle market like crazy by over ten million total. So right, yeah, that's interesting. And another thing with Cable that I think is concerning, aside from what we just talked about, is Tom Cable generally likes to run a zone scheme, and I don't think that that's a good fit for Trent Brown. What you look at last year with New England, they ran a very multiple scheme, diverse scheme, but they had a lot of gap type stuff, a lot of man concepts in there where they're really relying on guys to generate movement. And if you're going to be running outside zone with Trent Brown, I just don't think that's ideal. I think that's part of the reason why San Francisco got rid of him. Uh, So, yeah, that's also concerning as well. And, yeah, I just – it's – yeah, that makes it a little bit more concerning. But – Let's, yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, let's move on, though, to Jawan James, who is with the Denver Broncos now. He signed the richest contract for any right tackle in the NFL. Four years, $51 million, $32 million guaranteed. So this one, contract-wise, I like a little less than Trent Brown. And I do like Jawan James, though. I like Jawan James more than most people, I think. But this to reset the right tackle market with him is it, it's you know it's it's a kind of a tough one to to digest, but the more I'll break it down a little bit. Uh, Juwan James, I think, is a very talented player who could be very good. It's just he's had quite a bit of injuries in his past. He had a, a knee issue last year. He went on IR in twenty seventeen with a groin issue. So he, he he did start 15 games last year, which was definitely good. Eight games in 2017, 16 and 16, and then seven and 15. So it's kind of up and down with him that way. And then also his play because of it is up and down. It's, you know, early in the year last year, I thought he was very, very good. And then it kind of dropped off and went it's kind of up and down. He's going to be 27 years old week one, which is good definitely in the middle or at the early stages of his prime. Um, you know, and Denver has inquired about him f- last year, so they, they've definitely right. had interest in, in him for a while. The The thing that gives me a lot of hope with this is is the fact that our offensive line coach is Mike Munchak. And what that means is if you're – I think Mike Munchak is on par with Dante Scarnecchia. You look at the things that Munchak has done, and you, John is from Pittsburgh and a Steelers fan, so he appreciates this as, as much as anybody. Munchak, what he has done with offensive linemen is remarkable. How he developed Villanueva, the left tackle for the Steelers, is incredible, as impressive as anything Scarnecchia has done, in my opinion, in terms of one single player. But then last year they had right tackles coming in. Um, I mean, what they've been able to do with the interior – Everything is just so impressive with Mike Munchak. So that paired with a talent like Juwan James is very exciting. So I think that Juwan James should be from now on at the best of that that we've ever seen him. And on top of all of this, Denver has needed a right tackle specifically more than any other spot on the offensive line for at least five or six years. They've consistently failed at providing a a quality starter there so i that's partly why i understand spending so much money um but i think munchek with him that's the most encouraging part for me um so yeah what what do you think about this whole thing 
Yeah, I mean, I kind of agree with you on Zulon James. He's definitely not as good a player as Trent Brown. Uh, like you said, got paid less, still a lot. Um, but again, I just think the reality is that you're like he's a good player. He's a good right tackle in the NFL. Like he's a top fifteen right tackle in the NFL, in my opinion. So, yeah, I just think the position's so important. You know, again, if you if you look at all tackles, I get it, but you need two good ones in today's NFL. I think it's really really important, and so. I think that the move makes sense from that regard, especially because everything I've heard about Juwan James is that he works hard, uh, that he's tried to get better every single offseason. Yeah, he's had some ups and downs with his health. Um, still played more than he's missed, I think, but um, you know that's kind of derailed that a little bit. They haven't had the best coaching in Miami either, um, and that's been something that's, that's I think, held him back a little bit too. I think there's so much potential here, and that's why I'm really, really excited to, get, to see him with Mike Munchak because I saw what Munchak did here. I mean, the guy made – Marcus Gilbert was looking like a bust. He got in there, improved Gilbert's work ethic, his habits. You know, very similar to Juwan James, I think, is, is Gilbert. All these tools, all this talent, but didn't really have the, the development. I think James may have even be, been more, a little more dedicated to getting there uh, as a worker than Gilbert was initially. Munchak changed the game for Gilbert. He changed the game for Alejandro Villanueva. Uh, Chris Hubbard got paid big by the Browns. It wasn't as good last year in Cleveland. But was great when Gilbert went down two seasons ago. It was terrific in Pittsburgh at yeah. right tackle. Before that, I honestly didn't know how they were rostering. I mean, because he could technically play three positions, but he wasn't good at any of them before Munchak came. He was he was a guy that should not have been on the roster, and Munchak turned him into a right tackle that got paid. I mean, Matt Filer last year was not good per se, but he was he was as an adequate right tackle option when Gilbert went down. They didn't have Hubbard. I mean, like it's just crazy what Munchak's been able to do. James is as talented as Gilbert, more talented than a lot of the guys I just mentioned. Um, and I think he's already like a little further along than Gilbert was when, when Munchik got there. So I just think Munchik's going to do wonders with Juwan James if he's able to, to to stay committed. So I will say this, the process behind signing James to a lot of money, it's kind of the opposite a little bit of the, a little bit of the opposite of the, of the Trent Brown situation. The process behind signing James is a little bit scary because he hasn't been as good of a player as Brown or as consistent a player as Brown lately, or quite the arrow pointing up on a regular basis as Brown uh, only plays right tackle, um, which is fine. But again, Brown's versatility, I think, was undersold as a part of the reason why he was so valuable. But I think that the end result is going to be like, it was going to be really good for Denver. Um, so yeah. if you look at it that way, the fact that Munchik's there as part of their process and they know this is a guy who isn't quite there yet, but we fully believe based on his habits, his work ethic, all that kind of stuff, like we can get him the rest of the way there under the tutelage of Mike Munchak. Man, it's hard to argue with that process because Munchak's, I mean, Bellinueva couldn't even play tackle when he got to Pittsburgh. Now he's one of the better left tackles in the league. Like what Munchak does is, is crazy. Uh, the track record there is undeniable. So it's hard for me not to get excited about the result of what could be with Jawan James at right tackle, especially because like you said, well, Denver didn't have a million options, you know, like a right tackle. You know, they they need a quarterback. They they have to keep that option open in, in, in the draft uh, to be able to take one there. So I think, you know, for both Garrett Bowles and for Jawan James, Munchak's presence kind of excites, should excite the fan base because those guys can both get a, a lot better under him if they're able to accept that coaching. Yeah, definitely. You mentioned Garrett Bowles. I'm very encouraged about that as well because Bowles really struggled last year. He was a little bit better in the second half, but still not very good. And it's been disappointing so far, to say the least. So I think this was a huge thing for Elway to get Mike Munchak in town to potentially save his first-round pick in Garrett Bowles and also 
to really validate signing Juwan James to this contract. And I, I agree. I think in terms of this ultimately being a good deal, even though the contract I'm not as comfortable with as the Trent Brown one on its face, but when you break it down to have a coach like Mike Munchak, as opposed to Brown having somebody like Tom Cable, that evens it out quite a bit. And I think we should see the best version of Juwan James in, in 2019 and moving forward as long as he can stay healthy. So... Yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's it's definitely exciting times in Denver to have, you know, the best offensive line coach or one of the best in, in the league on the team. That's, like, I can't tell you how excited I am about that. So it's <laughs> it's pretty cool. I'm jealous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, it's it was a big move, probably the biggest move of the offseason for, for the Broncos, right. I think. But the, the next team I wanted to talk about is the Buffalo Bills and what they have done with their offensive line. I mean, they have revamped the entire unit almost by signing Ty Neschke, who's a guy that me and you really like. Uh, you know, we discovered him together really the, about almost three years ago. And uh, they got him for two years, $14.5 million. He's 33, so this is definitely a short-term fix type thing. But Neschke can play. I really like him. I think he's better at left tackle than right tackle. I, you know, I'm kind of torn on moving Deion Dawkins. I, I've heard that this coaching staff and everybody there likes Deion Dawkins. So this is probably Ty Neschke at right tackle. Um, I haven't seen good tape of him at right tackle. When he did play there, he was badly injured, and you could see it. He couldn't do anything. Basically, he looked just polar opposite of how he did at left. So I. I don't feel like I have a true read at him at right tackle, but at left tackle, I know he's good, and I know he would be better than Dawkins right now, but you have to factor in that he's almost 10 years older, so we'll see what happens there, but either way, you you got better at tackle. Uh, I think I think he'll be better at right tackle than than who they've had. Mitch Morse, they signed for four years, $44.5 million, so they gave him... 20 and a half almost million guaranteed, which is tied for the second most of any center in the league with Alex Mack just behind Ryan Jensen. So they they paid Mitch Morse. They, they they went out sort of on a limb here. I mean, Mitch Morse was good last year. He you know didn't play the full season. He wasn't as good as he was in 2015 and 2016, in my opinion. But he definitely, I think, is trending upwards. So that, you know, they definitely had to pay to get Mitch Morse in town, but a huge upgrade, obviously, at center. So that was a big move. And then they just signed yesterday John Feliciano from the Raiders, who's, I think he could be adequate to solid, maybe. Um, he He's really a guy who's going to provide competition at guard. I think, you know, if you have him and Wyatt Teller as your guards with Mitch Morse in the middle, that's not bad. He's a guy who really is, he's about setting a certain tone on the offensive line. He's extremely physical and aggressive, and he's a pretty good run blocker, but I, I have questions about him and pass protection. But we'll we'll see. I, I still think overall, all these guys are making the unit better, and the Bills' offensive line desperately needed it. So I'm really excited about what Buffalo's done so far, and they could still go to the draft and maybe add another piece. Yeah, this is super interesting for Buffalo. Um, I, I feel a little bit like they kind of sprayed and prayed with some of these guys. You know, they just kind of signed everybody and are hoping that they can. I like. I wonder what the plan is here. Um, but at the same time, depth is a good thing to have. Um, I feel like 
Spencer, they brought Spencer Long back and Mitch Morris. I feel like Morris yeah. has experience, I think, at guard and tackle. So, I, But I still think Morris is best at center. So I want to say they signed him and he's going to start at center. Then does Spencer Long maybe play guard or does he compete with Wyatt Teller to play guard? Um, I'm not sure how that's going to work out. Um, also, Ty Inseki, you know, I don't think, even though I agree with you, he's definitely best at left tackle. But like you said, he's 10 years older than Deion Dawkins. Like Deion Dawkins is the future for them at left tackle. I feel like that's how they view him. I bet Dawkins isn't going to move. So does Inseki play left guard or and then Wyatt Teller moved to right, or does Wyatt Teller stay at left and Inseki goes to right guard? Because Inseki's played left tackle, left guard, and right tackle, I think, more often than not. I, he could play right tackle. I think that's where Bill Smith's kind of pegged him in, but I'm I'm not sure. You know, Jordan Mills is a free agent. I'm just not sure if Ty Inseki is a right tackle. Like you said, he's only played – I think he's played parts of four games at right tackle, and I think only two full games at right tackle. And, I just remember the Dallas game. I don't know if he was injured. You mentioned his injury. I don't know if he was injured for that one, but he was. He came in for Morgan Moses, and he just got absolutely worked at right tackle. At left tackle, he's been really, really good. So the sample size is so small at right tackle. Are you, are you bringing him in to be your right tackle? I'm not sure. Um, I think, honestly, he might play guard for them at left guard, and they play Mitch Morris at center, and then right guard is Wyatt Teller or, or John Miller maybe. Um, so that – or not, sorry, not John Miller because he, he's a free agent. I don't think he's coming back up. But why tell her Spencer Long maybe a right guard? I'm not sure how it's going to work out for the Bills. I still tend to think that right tackle should be a big priority for them um, because I think Dawkins is solid. I don't think he's great. I think at left tackle, so I think having another tackle, a high-caliber tackle on this team is still a need. Um, I would like to see them draft a guy who maybe plays the right side really well. Juwan Taylor can make a ton of sense here. Cody Ford, uh, uh, Jonah Williams has had experience on the right side as well. So there's a lot of options, I think, for Buffalo. Um, they could grab a right tackle, and then maybe that guy also has the versatility to play left. Uh, you know, Taylor's played both sides, and uh, Williams has obviously played both sides. So they could be options. But I still think that's a priority for Buffalo. And imagine if they got Jawan Taylor to play right tackle, Dawkins a left tackle, and then Morris in the middle at full strength, along with Teller and maybe Spencer Long or Inseki at the guards. That is a much, much improved unit. So if they have options, they have versatility now. I don't know if anybody you – know, Morris, like you said, if he's healthy, that's the thing. He hasn't been healthy lately. But if he's healthy, he really looked like he was potentially on his way to being a really good center. So that could be one that pays off for them. I'm a little bit worried just because of the injury stuff. But I do think that could be one that pays off for them. And if, if he's able to stay healthy and continue back on that track toward dominance that he was on, I loved him coming out too. Um, I think this offensive line could really turn a corner. But the draft, I think, still does factor into how this unit's going to look in the end. Yeah, definitely. And you make a really good point about Nisecki at, at left guard. I think left tackles is best, left guard is the second best, and then right tackle. So that would make sense for him yep. playing playing left and Teller going to the right. I think ultimately this brings a lot of competition to the offensive line group entering training camp because you have a good mix of players here you have a lot of different lineups to to test and and experiment with so there's there's a lot of um competition ultimately and i think that's always good for the offensive line and i think it'll really weed out the strong guys and i mean i think we're going to see one of the most improved offensive lines in 2019 from 2018 in the bills with the way things are going just with the level of competition that they're bringing in there so it's i think that's very encouraging for for bills fans 
ultimately what they're doing. I just I appreciate the effort, and uh, I do particularly like a couple of their guys. So that's, you know, things are trending up, I think, a little bit in Buffalo for sure. And um, a couple bargains I wanted to talk about. Some of my favorite signings, re-signings. I mean, Ramon Foster in Pittsburgh to get him two years, $8.25 million, $4 million guaranteed. I mean, I just, I don't really get why teams aren't willing to pay him more than that. I think Foster's a good player, uh, really, really solid player. I mean, he's a guy who could come into a gap scheme and I think really upgrade a lot of left guard spots in the league. But yeah, I mean, to, to get him at that deal, I thought was a really good re-signing. And then Matt Paradis um, in Carolina, three years, $27 million, $13.5 million guaranteed. So he got $7 million less guaranteed than Mitch Morse, and he's been better than Mitch Morse lately. Um, I think yeah. his, you know, his ceiling is lower than Mitch Morse. He just doesn't have the athletic ability that Mitch Morse does, but we haven't really seen that from Mitch Morse for a couple of years either. So I thought Paradis was definitely the best center on the market for those reasons. So to get him at that deal, I'm really surprised the Jets weren't more in on him because they need a center. So, yeah, either way, I mean, to replace Ryan Khalil with Matt Paradis is outstanding. Uh, that keeps that, that interior somewhat intact. They still need a left guard, but to put him alongside Tri Turner, and I don't think there's, you know, they upgraded Ryan Khalil 2018 version. Um, so, yeah, for a lot of reasons, I, I like those two signings. Those really stand out to me um, just overall. Right, yeah, I don't the Paradis thing's crazy to me, man. Like I do, I agree with you. I think Mitch Morris, when he's healthy, can be a better player than Paradis, but he hasn't been for two seasons now. That's why I didn't right. think Mitch Morris would get paid. I thought he would be. That's why I think it's a risk for Buffalo, because I, I honestly just didn't think he'd be. I think of what did you say, eleven games in the last two years. I'm pretty sure he's played. So I don't yeah. even think he's finished. You know, two two of those are like half games. So I mean, I, I that's just a small. I just didn't think he'd get paid. To be honest, I think I thought he'd be on like a prove it deal. I did not think his interest would be anywhere close to his. And apparently wasn't just Buffalo, it didn't sound like. So, um, but I think, yeah, Paradis, steal, man. I, I really thought he would get more. I know he's like a little bit older and had that, like his career didn't start, like he didn't start super young like some other guys. But the guy's been good for four years and he didn't miss any time until his past season. So, right. I, there's, he's just consistent. I mean, he's very consistent. I, you know, he can, he's a great run blocker. He's a great pass protector. I, to me, there's really very little downside to a move like this. I mean, he instantly makes any team better. So um, huge move for Carolina. I don't agree with a lot of what Carolina's done, but they do care about the center position, and that is important. I agree with that uh, aspect of evaluation. And um, man, I think this was a great pickup to get Paradis because it frees them up. But really, they you know if they were going to there's a couple of good centers in this draft, but not a ton. And if they were going to take one, the first round kind of makes sense because I think you'll see two or three go fairly early, and they really really need edge rusher and a couple other things too. So they had to fill a need with a quality starter in, in free agency. I think it's kind of smart not to do that at edge rusher for them. And I think that just because there really wasn't a ton of great options um, at edge rusher that actually hit the market. Uh, so I think the evaluation of their needs and kind of where to address them, it made way more sense to go offensive line and free agency and then try to get a pass rusher or maybe another position. They have other needs too um, in the draft. Right. And then what did you think about Ramon Foster? Yeah, Foster has been a good player for a long time for Pittsburgh. Uh, not a great player, I think, but I uh, got better again with Munchak there. Just been a really consistent, uh, steady force for Pittsburgh. Uh, hardly gives up 
a ton in pass protection, which is the biggest thing. Uh, as a run blocker, I think he's just you know, the last couple of years he's he does fall off contact a good bit. Um, so there's some frustrating things with him there, but he doesn't make any mental mistakes. Terrific culture locker room guy. I mean, huge in that capacity. He's 33, so but again, he he hasn't really fallen off as a player. He's just kind of remained this steady, kind of consistent, solid player. Um, you know, BJ Finney's started for him in a couple games when he was banged up and and Finney's played really well some would say Finney's even played a little bit better than Foster I would still tend to lean toward Foster but I honestly thought maybe the Steelers were going to move on just because Finney has played well when he's gotten opportunities um, but he came back and I I wondered like you said I thought maybe he'd get a better offer somewhere he kind of said in the season I think like I'm not coming back for a discount so like I did last time I felt like and like I don't want to do that again so Pittsburgh better make an offer and that may have been a bluff because I just think that um, maybe he doesn't want to leave. I mean, he's 33, yeah. and he and Ben are super close and pounced. I mean, that offensive line is so, so close, and I just am not sure he wanted to leave. So um, maybe that's part of the reason gotcha. why he ended up staying for a pretty affordable rate. But, yeah, you want to have him back for sure if you're Pittsburgh. I don't think it would be the end of the world if he moved on, uh, but you definitely want to have him back because he is good in pass protection, and this is a team that uh, throws the ball a ton. So, um, I think you take some of the some of the, the inconsistencies and the struggles in the run game of late just for how good he is in pass protection and how rarely he gives up pressure, Zach. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's well said. I it's interesting. I mean, you know, on a one two year deal I thought he had a little more value than that, but yeah, it's it's mm-hmm. nice that Pittsburgh gets him back and you know, it's gonna be interesting to see how the offensive line there plays without Munchak. I'm I'd imagine it's still gonna be a good unit, but I, I especially want to watch the, the tackle play there and see how that goes. So that's going to be interesting, I think. And a couple head-scratching teams for offensive line real quick is the Bengals and the Falcons. I mean, I don't know what the Bengals are doing to re-sign Bobby Hart for, you know, three years, $16 million. That's crazy. And then Falcons, I mean, signing James Carpenter, Jamon Brown to play guard, I don't like either of them. I mean, Carpenter I like a little more. Uh, he, what he can offer you in the run game, but Jamon Brown, I mean, has been kind of disappointing to me. Tyson Brelo, they re-signed him. Granted, I don't think they paid a lot of money for these guys, but I don't know. I mean, the, those two teams kind of strike me as like, you know, we're just kind of wondering, more so the Bengals, but I mean, even the Atlanta, I don't love what they did there. I thought they could easily got a better starter in the draft, which they still might, but still, I just, those are kind of head scratchers to me. Yeah, no, for sure. I don't get either any of those moves either. But this is the Falcons kind of whole MO, right? They, Fusco, uh, Levitri, like, they just don't want to draft guards. They don't want to pay big money for great guards. Like, they just feel like the, the position is generally replaceable and um, they can just keep plugging in, like, decent veterans and it doesn't really matter what they pay them, but they're just kind of plugging them in, like, guys that are average at best and playing them. So, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a fan of Brown at all. Carpenter's better for sure. Um, still, like you said, not not great answers for them as guard spots, but I do think given what they paid him, it looks like both guys will probably start, so kind of takes the need off the table. I mean, it, it doesn't really fill the hole, but it takes the need from their perspective off the table, um, and uh, so I, I'm, hope, I'm hopeful then that they can address defensive line maybe with their first couple picks, but yeah, I, I don't really think they got much better with those moves, and they probably overpaid a little bit as well, um, and then, I mean, I, I just I can't even begin to, like I just but the whole Bobby Hart thing is just crazy like I just don't I mean like the guy is not like the guy's not played in teams like think he might be he's not good like I just <laughs> you know I mean we've seen it we've seen it multiple landing spots we've seen it yeah. at 
I just I, I don't understand like what teams still believe that they see in this guy. And I know he's I know he's still relatively young, but I mean he just hasn't really gotten better uh, throughout his career. You know, four years he's played a significant amount of snaps now at this point, and uh, it's maybe they can fix him. Maybe I'm wrong, but I just don't think he's a good football player, and um, I think he continues to. I mean, and he's a seventh rounder. It's not like this guy's a first rounder that keeps getting like opportunities. Like this guy's a seventh rounder, and like. Right. He just hasn't been good. You know, so, I mean, can he be a backup in the league? Like, But, you know, if you're talking about a guy that you're paying to be a starter, I, I don't really get it. So, But, I mean, Cincinnati's all about cheap fixes. So, you know, maybe they saw him. He, even though it's too much money for him, it's more than paying like a premier uh, tackle to, to come into play. So uh, that's probably how they evaluate it. They traditionally try to keep their own guys and don't sign other free agents. I don't – I guess that's continuing. So, I, yeah, that's a – head scratcher of a move to me yeah for sure it's going to be interesting to see what they do i'd imagine they're going to draft an offensive lineman for sure they need a lot of help up front i mean i think left tackle with cordy lennon center with billy price are the only spots that you go into 2019 feeling comfortable with everything else i think is up for grabs so yeah that's you know it's it makes us wonder for sure but i, I think um you know we've covered a lot of offensive linemen. We didn't even talk about Roger Saffold in Tennessee, which I thought was a pretty good signing. Um, I don't think we have enough time to get to defensive lines, so maybe we can revisit that at another show or just talk later in the offseason, man, but I don't want to keep you any longer. I appreciate you coming on and, and talking offensive line, offensive line with me, though. I really appreciate the time. And um, just let everybody know where they could follow your work, too, if you if you would. Yeah, absolutely. You can follow me on Twitter at Ledyard NFL Draft and at thedraftnetwork.com is uh, where all my content and articles appear. And then the Locked On NFL Draft podcast, Trevor Sikkim and I, we talk NFL Draft five days a week, Monday through Friday, year round. So have a lot of fun over there. So yeah, you can check out all the stuff at those locations. All right, man. Awesome. Thanks for coming on. Absolutely, man. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. All right, guys, we've got an announcement to make. Blue Wire is teaming up with Harry's to make sure our listeners are shaving comfortably. Go to harrys.com slash bluewire to save $10 on a value trial set, which includes five blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel, travel blade cover. You get all of that for just $3 shipped right to your door. Enough with the cheap razors, it's totally worth trying Harry's. Harry's has fixed shaving by combining a simple, clean design with quality and durable blades at a fair price. Harry's founders were tired of paying for razors that were overpriced and overdesigned. Harry's bought a world-class blade factory in Germany that's been making quality blades for over 95 years. Join the 10 million who have tried Harry's. Claim your trial offer by going to harrys.com slash bluewire. All of Harry's blades come with a 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll give you a full refund. Again, make sure you go to harrys.com slash bluewire to redeem your razor for $3.